but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a day's wage for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they said. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a day's wage. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a day's wage. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a day's wage? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Amen. And good morning. Uh, <laughs> if we haven't met, uh, my name is Stephen Forsyth, and I am one of the newest members here at Hillside. Yeah. I have been, uh, I've been attending here for 22 out of my 24 years, so I decided it was finally time to take that step. Yeah. <laughs> but here we are. Uh, we're back in Matthew, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. Thank you for bearing with me as I plunged in with our parable for today. Um, I was just struck in preparation by the story. And that, that's what they are, uh, parables. They're stories, stories that make a point about God, usually a point about us. And these words, these words of Jesus, they tell such a compelling story there's not really all that much legwork I have to do. So I thought, just get right into it. Uh, if you've been here the past few weeks, you know that's actually a bit of a difference. In this section of Matthew, chapters 19 and 20, there's been a lot of legwork to do. We've been understanding God's values and priorities around difficult topics like marriage and sexuality and personal finances. This parable sort of brings it all home. And it flows out of this last verse of chapter 19, which I read for us as well. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. This statement bookends our parable for today. 
what's this phrase all about? <laughs> There's a sense of ordering here, some sort of ranking based on something. Power, skill, love, Christianliness. It doesn't really actually matter because in any sort of ranking, first place is what you should want. It's so deeply, deeply ingrained. It's so obvious that I probably don't really have to make a point about it, but when we're this steeped in the culture, it can be good to step back and point it out. Um, any basis of evaluation, any sort of competition, first is always the best. We honor, we give promotions and raises to those who were here first, those who have served the longest, those who've worked harder than the rest. That's just how it works. But here, the first will be last, and the last will be first. That's eccentric. Still don't really know what it means, but that's what this parable is here for. As I've already said, it's a captivating story. You're already drawn in. One can imagine heading down to the marketplace and gathering with the other laborers waiting for the chance to be hired for the day. Any storyteller will tell you that a story needs tension. It needs stakes. And here they are. They're left implicit, but no less real. There's an anxiety, uncertainty. What if I don't get hired? What happens if I can't make any money for today? So the landowners come and they hire their top picks. Now, you are all top picks in my book, but let's say, for the sake of the story, that we're not in that first batch. Despair. What an awful feeling. We've lost our chance at a full day's wage. Whether it was because the landowners thought we didn't look strong enough or smart enough, or if you're me, maybe you just slept in. That's it. That's your chance. Gone. But sometimes some landowners circle back because they realize they need more help or the first guys didn't work out or something. So we stick around, hoping to salvage something out of today. And one guy does come back, but he doesn't pick us. But wait, he's back again. Nope. Nope. And hey, one more. Uh, nope. Before we know it, we've spent an entire day doing nothing but standing around. At this point, we may have given up hope. What remains of the day laborers is without question the bottom of the barrel. This is the all-star team of the last picks in gym. And the question's rising at the back of our minds. What does this say about me? No, it's bad enough to be in a position where you're constantly being evaluated by others. But to be consistently evaluated and found wanting, found not good enough, that's soul-crushing. I, uh, <laughs> I did musical theater for a number of years as a kid. Uh, and there's one aspect of that and any sort of ensemble performance in general that is just the worst. Any guesses? 
I can tell you that audition is not the worst part. It's the second worst part. The worst part is after the audition, when the cast list is sent out and you did not get the part. This is that feeling. It goes inward. What is wrong with me? Am I that lame, that weak, that terrible at dancing? Okay, so the answer to the last one is yes. But <laughs> you get the picture. It goes outward to anger. These people don't know me. They just took a look and walked away. Who are they to judge me like this? But the landowner comes back one last time. Literally at the 11th hour. This story is where that expression comes from. Just an hour left in the workday. And he rounds us all up and he puts us to work. Is it pity? Or secondhand embarrassment? Whatever it is, it's a weird thing to do, but hey, let's not look a gift horse in the mouth. So we work our hour and we get lined up with all the other workers for the day. There's the seven o'clockers, the nine o'clockers, the nooners, all the way down to us. And the five o'clockers, we receive our earnings for our one hour a full day's wages, full payment for an entire workday, despite having only worked a single hour. This is just beyond what could be expected in this situation. It goes beyond pity. This is generosity. It is critically important for our understanding of God. If we are the workers and God is this landowner, what are these wages? I suggest that they are the fullness of God's salvation and his love. And God offers those wages to all, to those who were passed by, those who were judged to be weak or unworthy. To them, he extends full salvation, full love. Let me say this. If you have not yet accepted Christ, it is not too late in the day. You have not missed the boat. Regardless of when you come to work, you can receive the full wages of eternal life with Christ. Regardless of what others might think of you or have said about you, Christ says you are worthy of this love. Regardless of whether you have walked away in the past or refused his offer to his face, he returns back to the marketplace for you. So I urge you to accept his invitation and receive these wages of life and to come work in his vineyard. Now I know what you're thinking. But Stephen, we've only talked about these last few workers. That's great, but what about the rest? Thanks for asking. <laughs> Thus far, 
I've, I've pulled us into the perspective of the latecomers, and that's been intentional, because we need to grasp the generosity of our God and the grace and mercy that he offers this full wage of salvation. But there is another group of people in this story. What about these other workers? When they see their co-workers receive a full day's wage, what is their first thought? What does this mean for me? Their thoughts turn so quickly from gratitude for the chance to work to greed. Just last week, uh, if you were here, Simon was preaching, and he talked about this question Peter asks. Yeah, we gave up all this stuff for you, so what do we get? It's like at Christmas, uh, when you're taking turns opening gifts. We're, we're a turn-taking family. Any turn-takers out there? Yeah? Any mad scramblers out there? No? Okay, very orderly uh, congregation here. Uh, <laughs> It can, be, it can be hard, I confess, it can be hard to be genuinely excited about other people's gifts. Because, I mean, that's great for you. <laughs> that's great for you. But what do I get? We can think of this portion of the parable as an answer to that question. What do I get? I get my full day's wage. And these workers are indignant because in their eyes, the landowner has elevated. It says made equal. Those who didn't work as long. And Jesus calls out his disciples on this. There is no early adopter rewards program because there is no greater gift than what God has given us. The fullness of salvation, the fullness of his love a relationship with him, to be his children. And in the moment, and I pray just for a moment, these workers are disappointed. Imagine. Imagine being so caught up in what we get that we begrudge God's generosity with others. I, for one, would never be upset if God answered a new Christian's prayer, but he hadn't been answering... Okay, I'll, I'll find a different example here. Um, I, for one, would never be upset if someone who had criticized, made fun of, even persecuted me for my faith for years, if they repented on their deathbed and received full salvation, full forgiveness full love from God, eternal life. Okay, so there, there might be something to this, actually. Um, I'm just, just going to pray really quick. Lord, heal our souls. Help us to pray for our enemies. Help us to love our brothers and sisters. Help us not to begrudge your generosity, but to celebrate your mercy. Amen. But do you see how easy it is to think this way? I've been a Christian since I was a child, and I learned two things very, very early on. The first is that God loves me. Jesus died and rose again for our sins so he could have a relationship with us. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
The second far less glorious truth is that people treat you different when you act a certain way. When you obey your parents or the teacher or you know the answer in Sunday school, people smile and they say, good job, and they give you a gold star or a bonus or a raise. Personally, and I know how this sounds, but sometimes this is just all I want is for someone to look at me and say, wow, you're great. Good job. I'm speaking here as this passage is speaking to Christians, to followers of Jesus, especially those who've been followers of Jesus for a long time. Did you see it? The temptation to let this second truth bleed into the first to work hard, to wow God, to earn that divine thumbs up, to be good, to get that reward, make those wages. And to think that our performance, when we clocked in, how much of the heat of the day that we bore earns us more or less of God's salvation, of his love for you, his approval, his acceptance of you as his child. I am here to tell you because I am you 99% of the time. It does not work like that. The minute we stepped into God's vineyard, he was planning on giving us a full wage. No more and certainly no less. And to me, this is the crux of the matter, no matter where on your journey of faith you are. It's not about how hard you work. It's about who you are working for. Let me say it again. It's not about how hard you work. It's about who you're working for. Actually, I'm going to say it one more time because I need to hear it. Stephen, it's not about how hard you work. It's about who you are working for. What a weight off my shoulders. When I believe it, at least. In 19 years of being a Christian, I'd say I've actually lived like this is true for about four months. I genuinely can't tell if that's being overly harsh or overly generous. <laughs> but I do know that sometimes I can feel that in my soul. I am loved. We are fully known and fully loved. Jesus' arms are wide open, no matter what. He calls us his children. He says he's prepared a room for us. He says he has called us. He says that he will complete the good work that he has begun in us. You know what? If I put in a terrible day in the fields, or if I only show up for an hour that actually doesn't change. So we come to our cryptic phrase. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. It makes a bit more sense now, I think. It comes down to perception, perspective. The reality is that in God's eyes, all of us are equally paid. More than paid, the Bible calls us God's children. We are equally 
loved, equally adopted, equally given our full day's wage. It's the human earthly perspective that sees the first becoming last and the last becoming first. Because we didn't expect abundant generosity from our abundant God. We can be tempted to see those who came at the 11th hour as receiving special favor. And so they move up. But meanwhile, those who came first received only what was promised to them. And so they feel last. But in truth, all of God's children, all Christians, are joint first, joint last. We stand as equals. And this actually allows us to celebrate the successes of others, the answers to prayer, the goodness of God, even when it seems like it's in everybody else's life but ours. Because we can be secure in the wages of salvation and love that we have received. We know that God doesn't play favorites. And hallelujah, he doesn't show special treatment to the ones who do the most Christian-y things. We are all workers in his vineyard. All children in his family. Loved not for what we do, but for who God says we are. Evaluated not on how hard we work, but on who we're working for. I'm going to invite the, uh, the worship team up, and I'll pray. So Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for what you've been teaching us today. Um, Lord, thank you that you come back to the marketplace, Lord. And you extend this offer to us. Um, Jesus, thank you for your mercy, for your love, for your generosity towards us. Lord, we ask um, for those who maybe have not yet accepted you, Lord, we ask that you would stir their hearts towards you today, Lord, um, that they would see you for who you are and receive your wages of eternal life. And Lord, we ask that you would align our perspective with yours, Lord, that we would see the gift of your salvation for what it is. Yes, these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.